Oh, again, great force. All right, continuing with our read aloud from yesterday. If you remember, we are in Charlotte's perspective of the story, Augie and me, right now. And she talked all about, in the first chapter we read, the accordion man that is on the corner of Main Street. And she was very intrigued by why he was there. And um, she had lots of questions about him. So this next chapter, again, told by Charlotte, is called How I Spent My Winter Vacation. So people who know me always say I'm so dramatic. I have no idea why they say that because I'm really, really, really not dramatic. But when I found out the accordion man was gone, I kind of lost it. I really don't know why, but I just couldn't stop obsessing about what had happened to him. It was like a mystery that I had to solve. What in the world happened to the blind old man who played the accordion on Main Street? Nobody seemed to know. My mom and I asked the cashiers in the supermarket, the lady in the dry cleaners and the man in the eye shop across the street, if they knew anything about him. We even asked the policeman who gave out parking tickets on that block. Everyone knew who he was, but no one knew what had happened to him. Just that one day, poof, he wasn't there anymore. The policeman told me that on really cold days, homeless people are actually taken to the city shelters so they won't freeze to death. He thought that's probably what happened to the accordion man. But the dry cleaning lady said that she knew for a fact that the accordion man wasn't homeless. She thought he lived somewhere up in Riverdale because she had seen him getting off the bus early in the mornings with his dog. And the eye shop man said that he was certain that the accordion man had been a famous jazz musician once and was actually loaded, so I shouldn't worry about him. You would think these answers would have helped me, right? But they didn't. They just raised a whole bunch of other questions that made me even more curious about him. Like, was he in a homeless shelter for the winter? Was he living in his own beautiful house in Riverdale? Had he really been a famous jazz musician? Was he rich? Rich? If he was rich, why was he playing for money? My whole family got sick and tired of my talking about this, by the way. Beatrix, she was like, Charlotte, if you talk about this one more time, I'm going to throw up all over you. And Amy said, Charlotte, will you just drop it already? My mom's the one who suggested that a good way to channel my energy would be to start a coat drive in our neighborhood to benefit homeless people. We put up flyers asking people to donate their gently worn coats by dropping them off in plastic bags in a giant bin we left in front of our brownstone. And after we'd collected about 10 huge garbage bags full of coats, my mom and dad and I drove all the way downtown to the Bowery Mission to donate the coats. I have to say it felt really good to give all those coats to people who really needed them. I looked around when I was inside the mission with my parents to see if maybe the accordion man was there, but he wasn't. Anyway, I knew he had a nice coat already, a bright orange Canada goose parka that made my mom hopeful that the rumors about his being rich might actually be true. And again, grade four is Canada goose is a clothing brand that's quite expensive here in Canada. You don't see many homeless people wearing Canada Goose, observed Mum. When I got back to school after winter break, Mr. Tushman, the middle school director, congratulated me on having started a coat drive. I'm not sure how he knew, but he knew. It was generally agreed upon that Mr. Tushman had some kind of secret surveillance drone keeping tabs on everything going on at Beecher Prep. There was no other way he could know all the stuff he seemed to know. That's a beautiful way to spend your winter vacation, Charlotte, he said. Oh, thank you, Mr. Tushman. I loved Mr. Tushman. He was always really nice. What I liked was that he was one of those teachers that never talks to you like you're some kind of little kid. 
He always uses big words, assuming you know and understand them, and he never looks away when you're talking to him. I also love that he wears suspenders and a bow tie and a bright red sneakers. Do you think you could have me organize a coat drive here at Beecher Prep, he asked, now that you're an expert at it. I'd love your input. Sure, I answered, which is how I ended up being part of the first annual Beecher Prep coat drive. In any case, between the coat drive and all the other drama going on at school, when I got back from winter vacation, more on that soon, I didn't really get a chance to solve the mystery of what happened to the blind old man who played the accordion on Main Street. Ellie didn't seem the least bit interested in helping me solve the mystery, though it was the kind of thing that she might have been into just a few months before, and neither Maya nor Lena seemed to remember him at all. In fact, no one seemed to care about what had happened to him in the least, so finally I just dropped the subject. I still thought about the accordion man sometimes, though. Every once in a while, one of the songs he used to play in his accordion would come back to me, and then I would hum it all day long. Next chapter, how the boy war started. The only thing everybody could talk about when we got back from winter break was the war, also referred to as the boy war. The whole thing started right before winter break. A few days before recess, Jack Will had gotten suspended for punching Julian Albans in the mouth. Talk about drama. Everyone was gossiping about it, but no one knew exactly why Jack did it. Most people thought it had something to do with Augie Pullman. To explain that a bit, you have to know that Augie Pullman is this kid at our school who was born with severe facial issues. And by severe, I mean severe, like really severe. None of his features are where they're supposed to be. And it's kind of shocking when you see him at first because it's like he's wearing a mask or something. So when he started at Beecher Prep, everybody noticed him. He was impossible not to notice. A few people like Jack and Summer and me were nice to him from the beginning. Like when I would pass them in the hall, I'd always say, hey, Augie, how you doing? And stuff like that. Now, sure, part of that was because Mr. Tushman had asked me to be a welcome buddy to Augie before school had started. But I would have been nice to him even if I hadn't, even if he hadn't asked me to do that. Most people, though, like Julian and his group, were not at all nice to Augie, especially in the beginning. I don't think people were even trying to be mean necessarily. I think they were just a little weirded out by his face is all. They said stupid things behind his back, called him freak, played this game called the plague, which I did not participate in, by the way. I've never touched Augie Pullman. It's only because I've never had a reason to, that's all. Nobody ever wanted to hang out with him or get partnered up with him on a class project, at least in the beginning of the year. But after a couple of months, people did start getting used to him. Not that they were really nice or anything, but at least they stopped being mean. Everyone, that is, except for Julian, who continued to make such a big deal about him. It's like he couldn't get over the fact that Augie looks the way he looks. As if the poor guy could help it, right? Anyway, so what everyone thinks happened is that Julian said something horrible about Augie to Jack. And Jack, being a good friend, punched Julian. Boom. And then Jack got suspended. Boom. And now he's back from suspension. Boom. And that's the drama. And that's not all there is to it, because then what happened is this. Over winter break, Julian had this huge party and basically turned everyone in the fifth grade against Jack. He spread this rumor that the school psychologist had told his mom that Jack was emotionally unstable and that the pressure of being friends with Augie had made him snap and turn into an angry maniac. Crazy stuff. Of course, none of it was true, and most people knew that, but it didn't stop Julian from spreading that lie. And now the boys are all in this war. And that's how it started. And it's so stupid. All right, next chapter, how I stayed neutral. 
the one I know one thing people say about me is that I'm a goody two-shoes. I have no idea why they say that because I'm really not that much of a goody two-shoes. But I'm also not someone who's going to be mean to someone just because someone else says I should be mean to them. I hate when people do stuff like that. So when all the boys started giving Jack the cold shoulder and Jack didn't know why, I thought the least I could do was tell him what was going on. I mean, I've known Jack since we were in kindergarten. He's a good kid. The thing is, I didn't want anyone to see me talking to him. Some of the girls, like Savannah's group, had started taking sides with the Julian boys. And I really wanted to stay neutral because I didn't want any of them to get mad at me. Excuse me. I was still hoping that maybe one of these days I'd work my way into that group myself. The last thing I wanted was to do anything to mess up my chances with them. So one day, right before last period, I slipped Jack a note to meet me in room 301 after school, which he did. And then I told him everything that was going on. You should have seen Jack's face. It was bright red. Seriously. The poor kid. We pretty much agreed that this whole thing was so messed up. I really felt sorry for him. Then after we were done talking, I sneaked out of the room without anyone seeing me. All right. Last chapter. How I wanted to tell Ellie about my talk with Jack Will. At lunch the next day, I was going to tell Ellie that I had talked to Jack. Ellie and I both had a tiny secret crush on Jack Will going back to the fourth grade when he played the artful Dodger and Oliver, and we thought he looked adorable in a top hat. I went over to her when she was emptying her lunch tray. We don't sit at the same lunch table anymore ever since she switched to Savannah's table around Halloween, but I still trusted Ellie. We had been BFF since first grade. Counts for a lot. Hey, I said, nudging into her with my shoulder. Hey, she said, nudging me back. Why weren't you in choir yesterday? Oh, I didn't tell you. She said I switched electives when I came back from winter break. I'm in band now. So grade four is an elective is like an option, kind of like our junior high kids take. Band? Seriously, I said. I'm playing the clarinet, she answered. Wow, I said, nodding sweet. This bit of news was really surprising to me for a lot of reasons. Anyhow, what's up with you, Charlie? She said, I feel like I've hardly seen you since we got back from winter break. She picked up my wrist to inspect my new bangle. I know, right? I answered. Though I didn't point out that that was because she had canceled on me every single time we had made plans to hang out after school. How's Maya's dots tournament going? She was referring to Maya's obsession with making the world's largest dot game to play at lunchtime. We kind of made fun of it behind her back. Good, I answered, smiling. I keep meaning to ask you about this whole boy war thing. It's so lame, isn't it? She rolled her eyes. It's totally out of control. Right? I said, I feel kind of sorry for Jack. Don't you think Julian should just call it quits already? Ellie started twisting a strand of hair around her finger. She took a fresh juice box off the counter and popped the straw into the hole. I don't know, Charlie, she answered. Jack's the one who punched him in the mouth. Julian has every right to be mad. She took a long sip. I'm actually starting to think that Jack has serious anger management issues. Hold up. What? I've known Ellie since forever, and the Ellie I know would never use a phrase like anger management issues. Not that Ellie isn't smart, but she's not that smart. Anger management issues? That sounded more like Ixmina Chin would say in her sarcastic way. Ever since Ellie had started hanging out with Ixmina and Savannah, she's been acting weirder and weirder. Wait a minute. I just remembered something. Ixmina plays the clarinet. That explains why Ellie switched electives. Now it's all making sense. Either way, said Ellie, I don't think we should get involved. It's a boy thing. Yeah, whatever, I answered, deciding it was better if I didn't tell Ellie I had spoken with Jack. So are you ready for the dance tryouts today, she asked cheerfully. Yeah, I answered, pretending to get excited. I think Miss Santanabi is ready, Ellie, said Ixmina Chin, who had just appeared out of nowhere. 
She nodded a quick hello my way without really looking at me and then turned around and headed to the lunchroom exit. Ellie dropped her unfinished juice box into the trash can, clumsily heaved her backpack onto her right shoulder and trotted after Xmina. See you later, Charlie, she mumbled halfway across the lunchroom. Later, I answered, watching her catch up to Xmina. Together, they joined Savannah and Gretchen, a sixth grader, who were waiting for them by the exit. The four of them were all about the same height, and they all had super long hair with wavy curls at the ends. Their hair color was, were different, though. Savannah's was golden blonde, Xmina's was black, Gretchen's was red, and Ellie's was brown. I actually wondered sometimes if Ellie hadn't gotten into that popular group because of her hair, which was just the right color and length to fit in. My hair is white blonde and so straight and flat. There's no way it would ever end in a curl without massive doses of hairspray. And it's short like me. All right, great. Of course, that's the end of our read aloud for today. Next chapter tomorrow is called How to Use Venn Diagrams, Part 1. Stay tuned. See you later. Oh, again, great fours. All right, continuing with our read aloud from yesterday. If you remember, we are in Charlotte's perspective of the story, Augie and me, right now. And she talked all about, in the first chapter we read, the accordion man that is on the corner of Main Street. And she was very intrigued by why he was there. And um, she had lots of questions about him. So this next chapter, again, told by Charlotte, is called How I Spent My Winter Vacation. So people who know me always say I'm so dramatic. I have no idea why they say that because I'm really, really, really not dramatic. But when I found out the accordion man was gone, I kind of lost it. I really don't know why, but I just couldn't stop obsessing about what had happened to him. It was like a mystery that I had to solve. What in the world happened to the blind old man who played the accordion on Main Street? Nobody seemed to know. My mom and I asked the cashiers in the supermarket, the lady in the dry cleaners and the man in the eye shop across the street if they knew anything about him. We even asked the policeman who gave out parking tickets on that block. Everyone knew who he was, but no one knew what had happened to him. Just that one day, poof, he wasn't there anymore. The policeman told me that on really cold days, homeless people are actually taken to the city shelters so they won't freeze to death. He thought that's probably what happened to the accordion man. But the dry cleaning lady said that she knew for a fact that the accordion man wasn't homeless. She thought he lived somewhere up in Riverdale because she had seen him getting off the bus early in the mornings with his dog. And the eye shop man said that he was certain that the accordion man had been a famous jazz musician once and was actually loaded, so I shouldn't worry about him. You would think these answers would have helped me, right? But they didn't. They just raised a whole bunch of other questions that made me even more curious about him. Like, was he in a homeless shelter for the winter? Was he living in his own beautiful house in Riverdale? Had he really been a famous jazz musician? Was he rich? Rich? If he was rich, why was he playing for money? My whole family got sick and tired of my talking about this, by the way. Beatrix, she was like, Charlotte, if you talk about this one more time, I'm going to throw up all over you. And Amy said, Charlotte, will you just drop it already? My mom's the one who suggested that a good way to channel my energy would be to start a coat drive in our neighborhood to benefit homeless people. We put up flyers asking people to donate their gently worn coats by dropping them off in plastic bags in a giant bin we left in front of our brownstone. And after we'd collected about 10 huge garbage, ba garbage bags full of coats, my mom and dad and I drove all the way downtown to the Bowery Mission to donate the coats. 
I have to say it felt really good to give all those coats to people who really needed them. I looked around when I was inside the mission with my parents to see if maybe the accordion man was there, but he wasn't. Anyway, I knew he had a nice coat already, a bright orange Canada Goose parka that made my mom hopeful that the rumors about his being rich might actually be true. And again, grade four is Canada Goose is a clothing brand that's quite expensive here in Canada. You don't see many homeless people wearing Canada Goose, observed mom. When I got back to school after winter break, Mr. Tushman, the middle school director, congratulated me on having started a coat drive. I'm not sure how he knew, but he knew. It was generally agreed upon that Mr. Tushman had some kind of secret surveillance drone keeping tabs on everything going on at Beecher Prep. There was no other way he could know all the stuff he seemed to know. That's a beautiful way to spend your winter vacation, Charlotte, he said. Oh, thank you, Mr. Tushman. I loved Mr. Tushman. He was always really nice. What I liked was that he was one of those teachers that never talks to you like you're some kind of little kid. He always uses big words, assuming you know and understand them, and he never looks away when you're talking to him. I also love that he wore suspenders and a bow tie and a bright red sneakers. Do you think you could help me organize a coat drive here at Beecher Prep, he asked, now that you're an expert at it. I'd love your input. Sure, I answered, which is how I ended up being part of the first annual Beecher Prep coat drive. In any case, between the coat drive and all the other drama going on at school, when I got back from winter vacation, more on that soon, I didn't really get a chance to solve the mystery of what happened to the blind old man who played the accordion on Main Street. Ellie didn't seem the least bit interested in helping me solve the mystery, though it was the kind of thing that she might have been into just a few months before, and neither Maya nor Lena seemed to remember him at all. In fact, no one seemed to care about what had happened to him in the least, so finally, I just dropped the subject. I still thought about the accordion man sometimes, though. Every once in a while, one of the songs he used to play on his accordion would come back to me. And then I would hum it all day long. Next chapter, how the boy war started. The only thing everybody could talk about when we got back from winter break was the war, also referred to as the boy war. The whole thing started right before winter break, a few days before recess. Jack Will had gotten suspended for punching Julian Albans in the mouth. Talk about drama. Everyone was gossiping about it, but no one knew exactly why Jack did it. Most people thought it had something to do with Augie Pullman. To explain that a bit, you have to know that Augie Pullman is this kid at our school who was born with severe facial issues. And by severe, I mean severe, like really severe None of his features are where they're supposed to be. It's kind of shocking when you see him at first because it's like he's wearing a mask or something. So when he started at Beecher Prep, everybody noticed him. He was impossible not to notice. A few people like Jack and Summer and me were nice to him from the beginning. Like when I would pass them in the hall, I'd always say, hey, Augie, how you doing? And stuff like that. Now, sure, part of that was because Mr. Tushman had asked me to be a welcome buddy to Augie before school had started. But I would have been nice to him even if I hadn't even if he hadn't asked me to do that. Most people, though, like Julian and his group, were not at all nice to Augie, especially in the beginning. I don't think people were even trying to be mean necessarily. I think they were just a little weirded out by his face is all. They said stupid things behind his back, called him freak, played this game called the plague, which I did not participate in, by the way. I've never touched Augie Pullman. It's only because I've never had a reason to, that's all. Nobody ever wanted to hang out with him or get partnered up with him on a class project, at least in the beginning of the year. But after a couple of months, people did start getting used to him. Not that they were really nice or anything, but at least they stopped being mean. 
everyone, that is, except for Julian, who continued to make such a big deal about him. It's like he couldn't get over the fact that Augie looks the way he looks. As if the poor guy could help it, right? Anyway, so what everyone thinks happened is that Julian said something horrible about Augie to Jack. And Jack, being a good friend, punched Julian. Boom. And then Jack got suspended. Boom. And now he's back from suspension. Boom. And that's the drama. And that's not all there is to it. Because then what happened is this. Over winter break, Julian had this huge party and basically turned everyone in the fifth grade against Jack. He spread this rumor that the school psychologist had told his mom that Jack was emotionally unstable and that the pressure of being friends with Augie had made him snap and turn into an angry maniac. Crazy stuff. Of course, none of it was true and most people knew that, but it didn't stop Julian from spreading that lie. And now the boys are all in this war and that's how it started. And it's so stupid. All right, next chapter, how I stayed neutral. The one, I know one thing people say about me is that I'm a goody two-shoes. I have no idea why they say that because I'm really not that much of a goody two-shoes. But I'm also not someone who's going to be mean to someone just because someone else says I should be mean to them. I hate when people do stuff like that. So when all the boys started giving Jack the cold shoulder and Jack didn't know why, I thought the least I could do was tell him what was going on. I mean, I've known Jack since we were in kindergarten. He's a good kid. The thing is, I didn't want anyone to see me talking to him. Some of the girls, like Savannah's group, had started taking sides with the Julian boys, and I really wanted to stay neutral because I didn't want any of them to get mad at me. Excuse me. I was still hoping that maybe one of these days I'd work my way into that group myself. The last thing I wanted was to do anything to mess up my chances with them. So one day, right before last period, I slipped Jack a note to meet me in room 301 after school, which he did. And then I told him everything that was going on. You should have seen Jack's face. It was bright red, seriously. The poor kid. We pretty much agreed that this whole thing was so messed up. I really felt sorry for him. Then after we were done talking, I sneaked out of the room without anyone seeing me. All right, last chapter, how I wanted to tell Ellie about my talk with Jack Will. At lunch the next day, I was going to tell Ellie that I had talked to Jack. Ellie and I both had a tiny secret crush on Jack Will going back to the fourth grade when he played the artful Dodger in Oliver, and we thought he looked adorable in a top hat. I went over to her when she was emptying her lunch tray. We don't sit at the same lunch table anymore ever since she switched to Savannah's table around Halloween, but I still trusted Ellie. We had been BFF since first grade. Counts for a lot. Hey, I said, nudging into her with my shoulder. Hey, she said, nudging me back. Why weren't you in choir yesterday? Oh, I didn't tell you. She said I switched electives when I came back from winter break. I'm in band now. So grade four is an elective is like an option, kind of like our junior high kids take. Band? Seriously, I said. I'm playing the clarinet, she answered. Wow, I said, nodding sweet. This bit of news was really surprising to me for a lot of reasons. Anyhow, what's up with you, Charlie? She said, I feel like I've hardly seen you since we got back from winter break. She picked up my wrist to inspect my new bangle. I know, right? I answered, though I didn't point out that that was because she had canceled on me every single time we had made plans to hang out after school. How's Maya's dots tournament going? She was referring to Maya's obsession with making the world's largest dot game to play at lunchtime. We kind of made fun of it behind her back. Good, I answered, smiling. I keep meaning to ask you about this whole boy war thing. It's so lame, isn't it? She rolled her eyes. It's totally out of control. Right? I said, I feel kind of sorry for Jack. Don't you think Julian should just call it quits already? Ellie started twisting a strand of hair around her finger. 
She took a fresh juice box off the counter and popped the straw into the hole. I don't know, Charlie, she answered. Jack's the one who punched him in the mouth. Julian has every right to be mad. She took a long sip. I'm actually starting to think that Jack has serious anger management issues. Hold up. What? I've known Ellie since forever, and the Ellie I know would never use a phrase like anger management issues. Not that Ellie isn't smart, but she's not that smart. Anger management issues? That sounded more like Ixmina Chin would say in her sarcastic way. Ever since Ellie had started hanging out with Ixmina and Savannah, she's been acting weirder and weirder. Wait a minute. I just remembered something. Ixmina plays the clarinet. That explains why Ellie switched electives. Now it's all making sense. Either way, said Ellie, I don't think we should get involved. It's a boy thing. Yeah, whatever, I answered, deciding it was better if I didn't tell Ellie I had spoken with Jack. So are you ready for the dance tryouts today, she asked cheerfully. Yeah, I answered, pretending to get excited. I think Miss Santanabi is ready, Ellie, said Ixmina Chin, who had just appeared out of nowhere. She nodded a quick hello my way without really looking at me and then turned around and headed to the lunchroom exit. Ellie dropped her unfinished juice box into the trash can, clumsily heaved her backpack onto her right shoulder and trotted after Ixmina. See you later, Charlie, she mumbled halfway across the lunchroom. Later, I answered, watching her catch up to Ixmina. Together, they joined Savannah and Gretchen, a sixth grader, who were waiting for them by the exit. The four of them were all about the same height, and they all had super long hair with wavy curls at the ends. Their hair colors were different, though. Savannah's was golden blonde, Ixmina's was black, Gretchen's was red, and Ellie's was brown. I actually wondered sometimes if Ellie hadn't gotten into that popular group because of her hair, which was just the right color and length to fit in. My hair is white blonde and so straight and flat. There's no way it would ever end in a curl without massive doses of hairspray. And it's short like me. All right, great. Of course, that's the end of our read aloud for today. Next chapter tomorrow is called How to Use Venn Diagrams, Part 1. Stay tuned. See you later.